Good evening, church. Uh, my name is Sam, and I'll have the privilege this morning of speaking to you uh, from Romans, Romans chapter 3. Um, so let's bow our heads to our gracious God um, and put our faith and trust and dependence on him during this time. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your love and mercy and kindness. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you have revealed to us your wrath that is hanging on top of this earth, Father. Yet at the same time, you, you revealed to us your goodness, your righteousness, the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. May you, Father, please help us to understand what it means to know the gospel and to be able to share it with ourselves when we need to remind ourselves and also with those who are living under your wrath right now. Father, speak the truth through us in love and help us, Father, to be a body that is active in encouraging each other and, and pointing people around us to Jesus. And we pray these things in his precious name. Amen. All right, so typical of being in the Middle East, and when I go to a church, first people ask me, nothing to you but Bill, I love you. <laughs> um, people ask me, you're from Middle East? Yes, I am. You speak Arabic? Yes, I am. Can you read the Quran in Arabic? Yes, I can. Um, I don't have a Muslim ministry. Um, I love reaching out to everybody, everywhere. Uh, growing up in Iraq, yes, I have learned a lot about Islam. But also at the same time, this is not about Islam, this is about Jesus. So what I would encourage you tonight to do is, is to know the gospel. Like really know it. So when you're good at something, you'll be able to take what you do well and make it fit and customize it to the need of the people around you. Jesus is very flexible. When he spoke to the women, he spoke in one particular way, to the children in a particular way, to the elders in another way. He was going to their levels. With a Muslim, let me tell you this, they know the objections. Okay, They've been taught how to stand against you. The moment you say you're a Christian, you tell the truth about Jesus, huh? Yeah, he's one of our prophets. We know him. But they don't. And they refuse the idea that he died for us. So I told this story once. I told this story to a group of Muslims in Lakimba uh, during a mission week at uh, SMBC many, many years ago. Um, it went like this. Let's imagine this. Arabs love drama. Oof. Mate, they wake up in the morning, make breakfast, do the dishes, turn the TV on, watch dramas. Okay, finish the drama, do the same thing for lunch, come back to watch some more dramas. Wait for dinner, do the same again. It's like episode after episode of everything. So I gave him a drama story. I said, imagine two brothers, really, okay, two brothers who are really close. Yet one of them was really wise, the other one was completely the opposite. He was the not so wise. There's another word to describe from Kanye's in church. Not so wise. This unwise child probably reflects some of us boys here, one day decided to take his dad's, dad's car and go for a drive unlicensed. And during the way, he went over a few things. He broke the law, the speed limits, he crashed into things, he just kept running. The police are chasing the car and him inside, and he's now freaking out, running, running from them. Until he gets home, he literally throws the car at the front of the house and runs into his home, and the only person who opened the door for him was his brother. 
And his brother looks him in the eye and says, what have you done? He doesn't have to speak. The, the, the police sirens are coming. So he runs inside. Police knock on the door. He opens the door, the older brother. He goes, who was driving this car? The older brother goes, sorry, sir, it was me. That moment, for the Muslim people who are around me, it shocked him. He goes, that's lovely. That's lovely. For the older brother to sacrifice his life that way for his younger brother. I said, yeah, that's the message of the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for us. So we need to know the gospel, guys. We need to know. Nobody's guilt is before God, not even us. So what do we do? I, was, I preached the same sermon last week at the church I was helping with, um, so I thought to use it again for my benefit, believe me. <laughs> not for you, for really for me. I need to hear the gospel again, if you know what I'm going through. Um, not about me, but let's go through that. Introduction. The letter of Romans, if I was to summarize the letter in one word, it's impossible, but if I was to do that, I would say mission. I would say mission. The letter to the Romans is about the mission. What's the mission? The gospel of God to the world through the church. The gospel of God to the world through the church. See, the problem is, after Paul has become a Christian, He's been given x-rays. He's given a new vision. He can now see something he couldn't see before. And what he saw, he was terrified of. And what he saw was the problem. And the problem is, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. That's the problem. Everybody lives in the world. Not everybody can see this wrath that's hanging out on people, judgment hanging out on people. And not, that, not just the judgment hanging out on people. God is saying they know they deserve it. But now Paul you have the eyes to see because you met Lord Jesus. You met him. You know who he is. So he's not discouraged. He goes, okay, that's the problem. What's the solution? Romans 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation from wrath. Or to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. First there's wrath revealed. Now what? Righteousness of God is revealed. And somehow that righteousness of God that is revealed brings what? Salvation. And he's asking us to live by faith. So, let me ask you this question. I'm sure you can see the screen, right? My head is not that long. I worked under Simon Manchester, a lovely minister. He was six foot plus. Every time I ask him, hey, Simon, how are you? He goes, I'm tall and happy. <laughs> I'm lucky I'm not that tall today. <laughs> um, so here's a question for you. 
Do you know the gospel? Do you know why you have peace with God? I'll tell you why this question is important because, again, for me, I have to remind myself of the gospel a lot of times. When I fall, when those around me fall, when the enemy is accusing, when stones are thrown, you need to remind yourself the gospel. It is an incredible thing to remind yourself of what God has done through Jesus for you personally. I've got, so that's the question. Do you know it? Do you know well when God puts you in a location, a situation that you can use the gospel to, to encourage somebody else who doesn't know Jesus to come and know Jesus? Are you able to take anything in the Bible and use it to be able to draw people to Jesus, to the love of God? Not judgment. So I've got three points for you to help us follow this chapter 3. I'm not going to cover everything in chapter 3. It's impossible. But I've got three points for you. Okay. First one is cheap grace. Cheap grace, probably heard the term. The other one is no one deserves grace. And the last one is God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Cheap grace. No one deserves grace. And finally, God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's go through that now. Let's think about these things. Let's think about cheap grace. Okay. So here's the problem again with Paul. Paul, if you, if you ever read Roman, you've done a Bible study, probably even talks from the pulpit you've heard about Romans, you definitely would have gone to that intersection between chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you're thinking, hold on a second. Paul is talking to some people now, but then in chapter 2, he seemed to change his tone. It's like he's talking to somebody else. And there's a lot of debate to who that people might be. Most common people think it's the Jewish people who are standing against him. See, when, when people hear the gospel and they really start to get it, not really get it, but really start to get the gospel, they would accuse people of what we call cheap grace. Okay? Paul, Paul in his ministry, St. Paul in his ministry, Paul the Apostle in his ministry, suffered from persecution and the persecution that came most of the time came from his own kin, his own people, the Jewish people. Even those Pharisees, even those Christian Jews, the Judaizers, who really plagued his ministry, wherever he went, they were followed. Did you believe in Jesus? Yes. Did you get circumcised? Are you following the Sabbath? Why is he here so long? I thought, I thought we were set free from the law. So these, Judaiz- these people, Judaizers, those religious authorities who kept persecuting Paul, were saying, Paul, what you're preaching is that people can do anything they want and God will forgive them because that will show how good God is in that he's so loving, he's so fluffy, he will forget everything, he will forgive everything. Now, that's not true, of course. Paul saying to the Jews, you need the gospel as much as the Greek does. Baptists, you need the gospel as much as the Roman Catholic does. Do you understand? You need it. 
See, the benefit that we have, like the Jews, is one thing. We have the gospel. We have the Bible. The Jews had the Bible. See, in that cheap grace, let me explain what cheap grace is before I go any further. I think it's important, but then I'll, I'll probably go back to it. But let me explain one thing. Jews had the Bible. They knew what the Bible said. Okay? So what good does it do to be a Jew? Paul says, great in every way. First, that they, had, they were entrusted with the actual word of God. Baptist, what's good? What, what good does it make to be a Baptist in front of God? As a denomination, nothing. But you have the Bible. You have sound teaching. The question is, what has it done to you? To the Jew who didn't believe in Jesus, it did nothing. That's why it's important to know the gospel. Do you know the Jews were persecuted throughout history a lot? You know? I'm not going to the Nazis and the Holocaust. Throughout history, till now. Why? I was sitting at lunch. I used to work for an Israeli company, in, but I was in North Sydney. Sitting at lunch, and some, actually some Indian guys working with us asked my Jewish-Israeli friends, why are you so always under the pump? People hate you all the time. What's going on? And they were trying to give reasons to why. And I said, no, it's none of these things. And my friends, the Israelites, Israelis, uh, said, what is it, Sam? And I said, what it is is that you have the Old Testament. You have the Bible, the Word of God. You have the truth that points to Jesus. And they're like, we never, never thought about that. Why do you think today the most persecuted group in the world is Christians? Whether you are a fair dingham Christian who really knows his Bible or just somebody who goes to a building called church. Because you either have the Bible, the book, or you preach it. And the devil hates both of them. What good does it do to be anything? If you have the truth, use it. If you're not using it, you will lose it for sure. Okay? So again, that was the benefit for them. Now, so he's, Paul is not arguing you know, with these Jews about their misunderstanding. What he's going to do next is going to explain himself. He's going to help them understand what it means to really believe in Jesus. Uh, but let me explain to you what cheap grace is. So if sometimes you hear a term, you don't know what it is. I just want to make sure you understand what cheap grace is. So here's an example, a paragraph of what cheap grace is. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution, as in forgiveness with sins, without personal confession of sins. Now that is cheap grace. Again, without discipleship, without the cross, without Jesus Christ. Why all these things? I grew up, when I, when I first became a Christian in 2005, I went to a church, there was no discipleship, no true repentance, no true gospel. There was happy, clappy Larry. And that's it. So their logic was, the Jewish people were thinking, look, this is, what you, this is what they were saying that Paul is saying. Let me start again. This is their idea of what Paul is saying. Verse 5. But if our unrighteousness 
If our badness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The, the God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? Well, if, if we're doing bad and God has forgiven us um, and makes him look good, why is he getting angry with us? It makes no sense. You see how that messed up thinking comes up if you don't understand the gospel. Uh, another accusation they threw against him was, and, and why not? Just as we are slanderously reported and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that God, the good may come of it. Cheap grace, they thought that Paul was preaching. Cheap grace, meaningless grace. Come and do whatever you want. God will forgive you. He's a fluffy cat you can just rub off and everything will be fine. There's no wrath. Wrath just a sign to scare you a little bit. So you can just say, sorry, Dad, and off you go. Quite the opposite. If you ever hear Paul preaching, we miss the opportunity to do that. We got the second best thing is that to hear God speak through him through a word written to us. He's actually saying, no one deserves grace. No, not one. How does he say it? What then? Are we better than they? As in a Jew? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greek are all under sin. As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they keep deceiving. The venom of asps, snakes, is under their lips. There is their mouth mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path. And they have not known the way of peace. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No one deserves grace. Paul is not saying, do whatever and God will forgive you and everything is good. He will never say that. He realizes the problem. There's a big problem. Yes, the answer is Jesus, but you need to understand what Jesus has done what the Father has done through the Son. So why does Paul talk this way? Why is he using the Psalms from the Old Testament to show how desperately wicked we are, all of us? He's not really shy, is he? You could be the most righteous person in this room, but you know when you confront this that we've all done these things. And sadly, even as Christians, we continue to do some of these things. So why is he doing it? Sorry, I read that very quickly, but the reason why he's doing it is because of this. Verse 19. Now we know that what, whatever the law says, it spoke to these, to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. No one can stand in front of the throne room of God, the judgment court of God, in front of a righteous and thrice holy, holy, holy God and say, I'm okay. I'll be fine. You will let me go. You will allow me into your pleasantness. No one. Like the man invited to the wedding who got into the wedding without putting on the right clothes. And when the master of the wedding, the lord of the house came to him and said, Why are you not dressed properly? 
What was the response? Every mouth would be shut. Because by the works of the Lord, none of mankind will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We all know the law. So, how then are we saved from the revealed wrath of God? How then are we saved from the revealed wrath of God? Well, God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, point number three. I mean, most of you know this. But if you're like me, I am positively sure you need to remind yourself of this all the time. If you're always on the front line, you're always being persecuted, uh, again, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Don't, don't take it that way, please. But if you're always at the front, always persecuted, always stone thrown at you from every direction, you know why that's happening. But you, you tend sometimes to blame yourself. You tend sometimes to hear the devil and his armies pointing fingers at your imperfections. Thank God for Romans 7. But most importantly, thank God for the Holy Spirit who reminds you of this truth. That you are okay. That God has done all that is necessary for you to be right with him forever. You are in his hand. His faithful love endures forever. His righteousness never changing. He is good. He is good. As I said earlier, there was a wrath revealed in chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. But now we see, again, that in verse 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Because by the law, no one is righteous. Who, has, who he has done the Ten Commandments? Who he knows the Ten Commandments? Shall I do a test? But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. See, the medicine, my beloved, has been revealed. The medicine against people's unrighteousness is God's righteousness. The medicine against people's unrighteousness is God's righteousness. And both are revealed. The doctor's telling you he's sick. This is what you have. He's a diagnosis. He's a test results. You're thinking, oh my goodness, do I have a life uh, insurance for my family? Because, oh, not to worry. He's the medicine. He's the medicine. God's righteousness revealed. Verse 22 says, This righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So the gospel is about believing or having faith of what God has done through Jesus. You know, this is the most difficult thing to accept. That's why Muslims hate it. It's like, what do you mean? I don't have to pray five times of his Sunni, of his Shia for seven times. 
Okay? You don't, don't have to pray five times or go to Mecca once, once in my lifetime to do the Hajj or do the fasting or, or do the Zakat and, and do the Shahada, do all these things. I don't have to do anything. No. In the Gospels, after Jesus feeding the, the thousands, I can't remember the first one or the second one, forgive me, the crowd followed him. And Jesus said to them, You know what you need to do? One thing. They were thinking we need to do works. What does God want us to do? So we can go into the kingdom of God. He goes, One thing. That's from John 6, 8, 28, 29, by the way. John 6, 28, 29. He goes, One thing. Believe. In the one that he sent. Just believe. I'm helping you here to understand believe what? What do I need to believe? What is this thing I need to believe? How does it save me to know that I now am saved from the wrath of God? And if you read through Romans, you know you become a child of God too. What an honor. So in Romans 23. We know the problems. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what God does, He reveals His righteousness. And this is going to be the most important five minutes of the whole talk. (laughs) I could have spent an hour just on this part, on these verses. But if you don't understand the sickness, you're not going to understand the need for the medicine. If you don't understand the situation you're in, you're not going to understand why you need it. If you're not that young kid who ran home without thinking of the consequences, you're not going to appreciate what your older brother has done for you. You know Jesus is your older brother, right? You understand that your relationship with him is that intimate. You are literally a child of God if you believe in him. So Romans... 3, 23, 26, if, you, if you're you know, not acquainted with it yet, if you haven't memorized it yet, let's try. Um, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? What does it mean to be justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus? What does that mean? It means that when, when the, a guilty person is drawn and pulled by the police with all the evidence, with blood in his hand, with all the cameras and all the witnesses and all the testimonies, everything is against you, laid out one in front of the judge and the jury, and you are ready to be sentenced. How can you justify what you've done? What can allow us to let you go as someone who is guiltless? How can a righteous judge, how can somebody who obeys the law, who respects the law, who loves his country and his good, can let a criminal go? It's not cheap grace. There was a cost. That cost, that redemption came from Jesus. But how did it happen? 25. Whom, Jesus, God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. The older brother took his place. It's on me. I did it all. There's a song we sang this morning, God, you know, 
how deep the Father's love. Um, there's that verse that people misunderstand, and God turns his face away, and they think about there's a division or between God and the Son. That's not what the song means. God was there when they crucified him. The Father was there when they crucified the Son. The Father was there pouring out his wrath on his Son. Abraham had his knife in his hand and the other hand on his Son. He was there. What God has done to be just is impossible for us to imagine. He is, he has literally bought us from death, from his own judgment, through his own son. The redemption that swapped, that buy him back, which is in Christ Jesus. He's a propitiation. He took away the wrath of God, the anger of God, and paid for our sins. Expiation, propitiation, technical terms, don't worry about them. It just means that God has done it. This was to demonstrate, for those who say, oh, you're preaching cheap grace. No, this was to demonstrate his righteousness, God's righteousness, because in God's merciful restraint, he let the sins previously committed go unpunished. People think, ah, God is not punishing all this evil we see around us. You know, all this wickedness we see. God is not doing anything. Does he even exist? God says here, he is just holding back waiting for the number of the elect to finish, and then will come. Wrath will come. To demonstrate that of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just, he can be a just God and a justifier. He can be a just God who will say you are guilty, and a justifier, somebody who can say to that person, you are declared righteous, you are declared guiltless. You can go home as if you've done nothing because my son Jesus took your place. This is chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. We'll see how the transformation of that person who goes home. In Arabic we say, when you enter the shower, you don't come out the same way. Um, You come clean, hopefully. So when you enter the courtroom of God under Jesus' blood, you don't walk out the same filthy person you walked out before. Paul is saying, God's grace is not cheap. It costs him a lot. And it will change you. He took all our sins and put it on his son Jesus. And later through Romans, you understand that Jesus' righteousness is given to us, accounted for us. And then we have the Holy Spirit through whom we call him, Abba, Father. So how does this make you feel? Where then is boasting? It has been excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Who can get to heaven with his own strong arms? Who is righteous to go to heaven? Woe to me, I see the Lord of hosts, for I am a man of unclean lips, and live among people of unclean lips. Woe to me. 
So what? Do you know the gospel? Do you get it? Is it cheap grace that you believe in? I'm not pointing fingers or trying to... Honestly, don't get mis- misunderstand me. Um, I didn't have 20 years experience in ministry like my brother uh, Todd. I had a couple of years. Um, but during that, I saw a lot of people in the church were living under cheap grace. Really living under cheap grace. Not realizing that they are. We're not asking you to shake their faith. Don't do that. But love and pray that every person in the church will grow to understand true grace. True message of the gospel. Let me pray. I close here. Um, Father God, we thank you again for your righteousness that revealed from heaven against our unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, that your righteousness include a way to justify us, the sinners. Thank you, Father, that you do amazing things we cannot imagine. And we look forward for the day when you call us home, glorified, to be able to praise you and to honor you, Father, and to live the way you intended us to live through your Son, Jesus. Please bless every person in this room and help us to be a faithful practitioners of the gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.